From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. Sarah Palin has called on her Republican opponent, Nick Begich, to withdraw from the race for Alaska's at-large congressional seat. In a press release, Palin called Begich a, quote, three-time loser. Palin also called on the Alaska Division of Elections to release data on the number of ballots they, via Dominion computer system machines, rejected. Palin lost the special congressional race on August 31st to Mary Peltola. You can read more at KINYradio.com. A cake man has died after Alaska state troopers say he drowned in Boot Lake. On August 27th at 4.30 in the morning, troopers received a report of a possible drowning in cake. Initial investigation revealed Manu Bell, age 29 of cake, had put a vehicle in drive instead of reverse and drove the vehicle into Boot Lake. There was a passenger in the vehicle that exited and swam to shore but did not see Bell exit the vehicle. When local medics arrived, the vehicle was no longer visible. At 5.08 in the morning, Troopers were advised Bell's body had been found floating in the water. Alcohol is believed to be a factor. Bell's body was transported to the state medical examiner's office. Next of kin was notified, and an investigation by state troopers is ongoing. The registration deadline to vote in the Juneau municipal election this October is coming up. Deputy City Manager Robert Barr spoke about that on the KINY Morning Show. We're actually getting really close here to the last day to get registered for that election if you're not already registered to vote. I know uh, many people listening probably are, but it's always good to remember that um, that that deadline comes first. So September 4th uh, is the deadline to get registered if you or someone you know needs to do that. Uh, And then we will be mailing out ballots on September 13th. Barr also spoke to how voters can vote in the election this year. There's lots of different ways that you can return those ballots. You can return them by mail. You can return them uh, in one of our drop boxes that will be out around town. Or you can return them to one of our vote centers, uh, either out in the valley uh, or uh, downtown at City Hall. Um, And then you can also uh, vote at one of those vote centers on Election Day on October 4th. Uh, if uh, that's how you want to do it. So lots of different ways to vote. Um, And, of course, uh, you want to know what's on the ballot, right? So if you go to juno.org slash clerk slash elections, you can look at a sample ballot um, and uh, think about, you know, how you might want to vote on that ballot on all the different issues. Although no candidates are contested in the city election this October, there will be ballot measures. The Juneau School District is up in students when compared to last year. However, it is below their projections. Juneau School Superintendent Bridget Weiss with that word on Action Line. We are uh, slightly ahead of where we were last year. Uh, We have 10 or 20 students more uh, than we did last year. Uh, Each year through the budgeting process, the board projects enrollment. And based on that projection, of course, that's how we build our budget and allocate uh, funds and so forth. And so uh, we, compared to that projected enrollment, we're down just about 68, 70 students. Uh, so, so you the, projected high. We projected a little high from what it ended up to be. Weiss said that once the number becomes final in October, then the district would consider budget changes. Weiss explained how enrollment impacts funding. 
We're very fortunate in Juneau that our city assembly supports our schools uh, tremendously, and that ongoing support from the city really makes a big difference for our students and our staff and our families. Um, the state funding formula uses enrollment as one of the main triggers. Again, it's fairly complex. There's a lot of different layers to it, but the main driver of that funding formula is what we call our base student allocation. So it's a dollar amount that we receive per student that we have and that's why we do that official count in October and then that number is what ultimately generates our funding for the school year. Juno School Superintendent Bridget Weiss. Brian Weed is well known for his Juno Hidden History series. Now he's branching out. He recently made a find in deep southeast Alaska. He spoke about it on Capital Chat. Recently, I just came back from a trip to Wrangell where they have the what they call the Boy Scout Ledge where there's garnets. And some of these garnets are uh, bigger than a quarter. I mean, they're good size. Oh, wow. Yeah, huge, huge gemstones. And I always thought you had to be a Boy Scout to dig in the area. And uh, I was like, man, there's got to be some garnets off the Boy Scout property. And sure enough, I did some research and hiked up the side of the mountain, which wasn't easy. Uh, but was able to get off the Boy Scout property and, and dig some garnets legally near Wrangell and come back with, with a nice little collection, which was fun. Juno Hidden History's Brian Weed. Uh, basically, what we're trying to promote is uh, suicide prevention or awareness and prevention. That was Juno Suicide Coalition Program Coordinator Tina Diasis Santamingo on Capital Chat. She was joined by Erin Surma, Executive Director of Nation Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI Juno, to talk about Suicide Prevention Month and the events that will take place in Juno to raise awareness. I don't know if mental health has gotten worse or people are just more comfortable talking about it. You know, I, I think, think that's a good way of looking at it, too. Yeah, I think people, are, people who I wouldn't have normally expected to talk about their mental health f- seem to be more comfortable talking about it and asking for help and thinking about what to do. Today, there will be an event at the Sea Alaska Plaza from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. We'll be having coffee at the plaza, and that's the Sea Alaska Heritage Arts Plaza, in, uh, to kick off both uh, Suicide Awareness Month as well as Recovery Month, and are together with Juno Veterans. So come out and see what uh, each of our groups do, and we'll have... A series of resources that you can get, talk about suicide in general, recovery in general. Uh, We'll have some means reduction items there like uh, Narcan kits and disposal bags for uh, for medications and uh, gun locks and, and also a button, a button to wear showing your support for suicide prevention awareness. Surma said there will be a picnic next weekend. September 10th, Saturday, September 10th at Sandy Beach, we have a community-wide picnic. We'll have food and drinks and games and all that good stuff. And again, we'll be sharing our information with folks. And I think a key part of that is some healing canoe journeys that will be happening throughout the day. So anyone who's been affected by suicide, either they lost a loved one or they are a suicide attempt survivor, can sign up for one of the three canoe journeys that day that will leave from Sandy Beach and folks will paddle around. Um, and support them in their grief. And grief support is something that we've heard a lot of need expressed in the community. We've tried to do more grief events lately to respond to that need, and this is yet another example. And this one is specifically around suicide. 
According to NAMI, suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 14 and the third leading cause of death among people aged 15 to 24 in the U.S. Suicide is the 12th leading cause of death overall in the country. It's going to be something that can notify tribal citizens of emergencies and other important communications. That was Clinton and Ida Central Council President Richard Peterson yesterday introducing the Everbridge Emergency Communication and Notification Platform the tribe intends to use to alert enrolled citizens. TNH Public Safety Director Jason Wilson explained the origins of the program. Really what, what kind of initiated even looking for this platform was really when we were in COVID and dealing with the, really in the thick of COVID, we really wanted to be able to address our tribal citizens. How do we get information out to our tribal citizens about COVID, uh, mitigations for COVID? Um, we, you know, obviously we used our social media platform, but there was still a need to, to try to figure out different ways to reach our tribal citizens and our tribal employees on a, on a, on a more consistent basis. Sabrina Boone is the Emergency Operations Coordinator for the tribe. Everbridge is a very flexible tool um, that's going to enable us to really have um, a quick and direct mass communication with our tribal citizens. Um, in addition to sending them notifications about um, critical events, it also has um, a feature built in where we can ask you know, things such as, are you doing okay, where they have the ability to potentially respond to us to give us more um, information to better um, respond to what's going on around them. These remarks are from Clinton and Haida's lunchtime chat series yesterday. A summit on deer on Prince of Wales Island will be held later this year. Southeast Alaska Conservation Council's Tongass Program Director Miranda Hom spoke to that well on Action Line. If you find yourself on Prince of Wales, um, it's an in-person meeting. Uh, we still do not have it solidified if we'll be offering a Zoom link. But if you find yourself on Prince of Wales, October 13th through the 15th, please come join us. Um, the summit's going to be offering uh, special presentations and discussions throughout the day, along with like a community dinner on Thursday and a special field trip to the Harris River Trail on Saturday. Hom said the goal is to get a gauge on the deer in the area. The ultimate goal of this summit is to gather community members, scientists, and land and wildlife managers and hunters to share information and discuss factors that influence the deer population on Prince of Wales, specifically in Unit 2, which encompasses Prince of Wales and the surrounding islands on the west. On Hom said hosting a summit is not new. For many residents on Prince of Wales, our... Um, Sick of black-tailed deer is a main staple for many families. Um, it's common to hear about predation and habitat and regulation concerns from many residents. So hosting a deer summit on Prince of Wales is nothing new. This has happened in many times. and But this event, I feel, will be bringing more of the perspectives into habitat, habitat and regulation. Again, the event will be held October 13th through the 15th at Craig Tribal Hall. Governor Mike Dunleavy argues California's plan to ban new gas-powered vehicles by 2035 is the wrong move. He made that statement while a guest on Fox Business. Forced conversion to electric? Uh, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, we, we still believe in a market-driven economy, but with that said, 
The issues with Alaska also, it's uh, it can get quite cold up here, especially in the northern part of the state. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're going to keep an eye on the evolution of this technology. But I just uh, I find it fascinating that um, uh, California and other states are actually going to go through a forced conversion process. We'll see how that turns out. But uh, usually when you go through a forced conversion, uh, sometimes it doesn't turn out well. Dunleavy highlighted Alaska's use of hydropower and some electric vehicle use in the state. Along our coast, for example, we have hydro uh, uh, power. We have electricity produced by hydro. In some cases, we have 11 cents, 7 cents a kilowatt hour hydro. So we do have vehicles there. People have opted to buy vehicles there to run off of uh, electricity. But uh, for the most part, the state, it's going to be difficult, especially with this technology, it's going to be difficult to run anything but a combustion engine for some time in the state. So, no, we're not contemplating being uh, joining that uh, group of states. Governor Dunleavy. The 28th annual Harvest Fair is coming up this weekend at the Juneau Community Garden. Tomorrow, the fair will include food sales, exhibits, garden tours, and a farmer's market. Pat McClare of the Garden's Board of Trustees spoke about the fair while on Capital Chat with Dano. This is the 28th annual Harvest Fair. The last (laughs) one was in 19, but, you know... You know, COVID, COVID, so we had to skip a couple, but now we're back. Due to COVID, the garden is asking for six-foot distancing and recommending face masks. McClare said the judged exhibits can be from anyone. The exhibits, which includes fruits, vegetables, flowers, those can be from anybody in the community. So you do not have to be a member of the community garden to submit something to be judged. Claire says awards will be given out to those in the exhibit. In my home, there is a box with hundreds of ribbons in a variety of colors because we have first, second place, um, third place, class champions, uh, division champions, grand champions. I can't keep track of it all. but um, And thankfully, the cat didn't get into all of them. So um, we do have ribbons to give out to folks who... Um, want to play something in the exhibit. An atmospheric river is forecast for the weekend in southeast, but McClare says they will be ready for the rain. Even though the weather says (laughs) atmospheric rivers yet again, (laughs) we have a huge pavilion. We have a huge pavilion. I don't think a lot of people realize that out there. We we have a huge pavilion, so to sit and eat and enjoy, listen to the music, um, the the pavilion is named after Suzanne and Sandy Williams, who are local garden legends. And we also have, amongst our volunteers, someone who is referred to as a tarpologist. He will provide tarps. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.